Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division. Welcome to Level 7. And welcome everyone to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Bonjourni, spoiler Pete. I only act like I know everything, Matt. That's a little bit of a letdown there, Pete. I, I thought you did know everything. <laughs> well, today we're telling you everything I and we know about Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Myself having seen it twice already, Matt got his first look at it yesterday. Yeah, it just opened yesterday, Pete. So I guess, you know, the fact that uh, a la uh, Mr. Quinn from uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the fact that you have a jet that just takes you from place to place, uh, certainly helps. Uh, before we dive into the podcast proper, just kind of some preface stuff. No, we're not going to shill the whole PayPal thing yet. That's later. Uh, but do just want to mention to everybody, most of you listen to us by way of uh, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. feed on iTunes. Uh, and we do occasionally mention that we also have a pop culture podcast. Lately, the main portion of that podcast has been, of course, just simulcasting our S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. But with, uh, what is it, Pete, six episodes left to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for this season? Yes. So with those six weeks left, just want to give you a heads up that if if you're listening only for the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff and obviously you know Marvel movie stuff like this, fine. You can stay, uh, stay subscribed to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. feed. But uh, if you love yourself, Pete and Matt, uh, you can get more stuff from us by subscribing to the Pop Culture Podcast feed. Uh, you can get stuff like uh, we'll be talking about the different summer movies that we go to, which actually aren't going to be Marvel movies, some of them. Uh, we plan to discuss uh, you know, our top five movies overall. Um, might throw in, ooh, the shocking uh, you know, TV finale of this or, you know, you know, whatever might come into our mind, it's kind of a potpourri the Pop Culture Podcast is. Uh, if you search iTunes for Fantastic Geek, it'll uh, it'll come up uh, probably right after the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. You can also head over to fantasticgeek.com, and uh, it's posted right there on the main uh, the main page as well as links to iTunes. So hopefully, Pete, we, uh, we bring some people over for our summertime adventures. Indeed. Well, that, Pete, debuting one of our new toys here. Uh, let's get to our first segment. Ah, uh, yes, our ever popular debrief here when we catch up on what went down. So the much anticipated sequel to Captain America is finally out. And uh, for a long time here, we've been waiting to see how the man lost in time would adapt in a solo adventure and now we have our answer a tale chock full of surveillance and the dronification of our defense and really kind of a chilling uh modern day allegory for uh you know the whole uh information mining mentality that uh not just our government, but governments in general have gotten into. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll get into some of those particulars, uh, particularly as they they apply to Agents of Shield as we get into dossier and level seven. But definitely, I was a bit surprised that the movie went as deep as it did for a you know popcorn superhero movie to just really kind of be saying, hey, we're using helicarriers and you know satellite 
vectoring and et cetera, et cetera, to kind of discuss things that are very much in the in the air now, things that are very much modern topics. Uh, so kind of good on you there, Marvel, for for uh, I, I won't say something as 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 you know low as kind of keeping it real, but like really discussing things in the real world through the metaphor of the comic book universe. I read an interview with the Russo brothers, the directors of the film, who have already, by the way, signed on for the third Captain America movie, which will come out the same day as the Superman Batman mess that um, DC is preparing. Um, no, it, it won't. DC will blink. <laughs> Warner it, Brothers will blink. If it's even ready, I was going to add. Oh, DC. But. Um, the idea here and, and they fully embraced it. You know, they, they said, you know, we're, we're taking a look at, you know, what, what the government's done and, you know, all of the Edward Snowden stuff happened while they were filming. And, um, you know, this is really embracing. Look at this. I mean, clearly it was the darkest Marvel movie to date, uh, in terms of its themes. And, um, you know, in what begins in a very lighthearted way, you know, Captain America meets uh, Sam Wilson, who will eventually become Falcon, um, you know, and, and then we're whisked off to the Indian Ocean where the Lemurian star has uh, incurred into uh, foreign waters and Captain America and uh, uh, Black Widow and uh, Rumlow have to rescue uh, this boat full of S.H.I.E.L.D. personnel, including uh, Jasper Sitwell, who was just sent there during uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on Tuesday night in that perfect uh, synergy that's lining up between the TV show and the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now. But then we increasingly spiral into this very, very dark place. Uh it really, really is. And even kind of understanding the scope of the movie uh, at the halfway point, at the end point, to go back to the, the Lemurian star there, you, let me put it this way, upon first viewing, it's like, all right, they kind of, you know, set the table with on your left and, you know, guys running in Washington, D.C. and America. And then basically you're like, all right, now that they got out of the way, crack the knuckles, let's show Clearly bad guys getting their butts kicked by the clear good guys. On retrospect, not really. Like, they're all kind of equally in gray, uh, you, you know, gray turf there. It's neither black nor white. And um, as much as it's, you know, just a butt-kicking scene and the audience is going, ooh, ah, wow. You know, there's a subtext there of basically everybody on the boat there is getting played by someone in some way. Um so, I mean, it's one of these movies that that, that will be stronger, on, well, maybe stronger on second viewing. Pete, maybe you as oh, somebody it is. who's seen it, it twice. Can, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the idea here that we quickly come back to that there were different missions within that mission. Uh, Black Widow sent there to do something other than Captain America and write in the wedge um, that, uh, you know, both Fury and within S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, there are different agendas. Um, so from there, uh, the intrigue begins in terms of what is going on uh, within this organization, the exposure to the Project Insight 
plan for Steve Rogers and understanding that these three mega advanced helicarriers, basically massive drones, uh, are being readied uh, and are going to eliminate threats. And despite the fact that Steve Rogers during World War II, you know, carried out a somewhat similar mission, he knows that this is wrong. And he is a character who views things in black and white, whereas uh, Nick Fury is very much in that gray area. The line used uh, later on in the film, you know, who's who's willing to put their hands into the mud? Well, I mean, I think, look, as much as we see this series of events through Captain America's eyes, through his lens, uh, to whatever degree that the movie has some well, he sort wears of a helmet. So maybe <laughs> through his helmet, through his helmet. There you go. Um, I think, you know, so as much as we're clearly meant to walk away saying the good guy won, this was too much that was being proposed by shield, by Hydra, etc. There's a certain argument to be made, uh, from an objective point of view that everybody in the movie is the hero of their own story and not even in a you know like not even in a you know uh you know hitler believed that too but he clearly was bad like the, i'm certainly not going to put forth the idea uh the the the, the math that pain does saying kill 20 million people improve life for 7 billion people but he's done the math and to him that's a, that's an acceptable uh, difference. I'm sure if you scaled that down to, you know, one out of every whatever, it, it would sound a little less ominous. Not that it isn't completely ominous, but everybody there is acting as they believe in the best interests of of uh, those who they represent. And in the case of pain, he's representing humanity, he believes. So it's just it, it's just interesting that you know other bad guys are just there to see the world burn. They're just there to you know bomb all the major cities like Red Skull and Cap One. With this, it's we're really going to improve the world after um, after uh, some bloodletting. And, and the notion of bloodletting is also something we'll return to in the dossier section, Pete. Well, it's no surprise when there's a uh, pretty flagrant attempt on Nick Fury's life. Uh, and again, we saw bits and pieces of that in the final segment of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. last week when they uh, they showed us more Marvel. Um, from there, it's, you know, who is responsible? Who's trying to do this? Fury getting in touch with uh, Captain America. Captain America being exposed to they call him the Winter Soldier, Matt. Why do they call him the Winter Soldier? Did I miss that? <laughs> I mean, it's a cool name. Don't get me wrong. And I get that he fell in the snow. And I and it certainly is evocative of, I, I don't know, kind of something in a primal sense. But it would have been nice if they explained why they called yeah, him the Winter there was, Soldier. There was no exposition on the name. You know what? I, I, we get it. And, you know, we're, we're showing the back up of you know what happened in in uh captain america the first avenger and, and we'll, we'll look at that proper again in our dossier but this projects the narrative into you know our full-on trajectory captain america now needing to get to the bottom of what's going on very quickly 
he becomes the subject of a manhunt after uh, they cannot contain him within S.H.I.E.L.D.'s Triskelion elevator. Uh, and then he lays waste to a Quinjet on the way out of that uh, facility in, in what were some very brutal uh, sequences. We wind up in New Jersey of all places, Matt. Uh, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't Captain surprised, America. Pete. I, I've often gone past that old abandoned <laughs> camp, camp such and such, yes. uh, and, and said, hey, you know, that munitions area is a bit close to the barracks. I, I had wondered that myself. but it's against uh, regulations. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Um, but now you know. Um, and if it hadn't been against regulations, if they had done their due diligence in construction, think where we would be. They would have brought down the whole Marvel Universe. That's why rules are important. And in clearly the darkest sequence of the film and, and what I found shocking, you know, bringing that – uh, shield is infested um, by this parasitic Hydra organization from the original Captain America film and um, something that I'm very certain is going to have uh, repercussions within uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on a week-to-week basis, particularly next week as they deal with the fall out of this. Um and we learn how high it goes. And uh, they try to take out uh, Cap and Black Widow again with a missile. And then well, we see. Well, and that- I mean, let's not forget, too, you kind of have in what I think is, well, in, in what is a scene I'd like to discuss for a moment sure. the reveal of, um, um, oh, his name has just escaped me. Dr. I- Sola. Yeah, all day I've had the mental image of of uh, Hugo Weaving's Red Skull saying, you know, Dr. Zola. And then the minute it comes, I can't remember it. The notion that he has, he essentially is the big bad. Uh, we have joked, of course, talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that maybe the clairvoyant is a big giant green head a la, um, you know, some of these different Marvel characters. Yes. To have revealed in this movie that... that um, a big bad of the plot is indeed a big giant green head. I'm not sure entirely how I feel about that whole scene. And I'll tell you why oh, I loved it. <laughs> I thought it was effective. And I think that you can, you can um, take some liberties, <laughs> no pun intended. You can take some liberties with your audience at times, for example, all right. The fact that the Falcon thing, the Falcon's wings look like wing wings. Well, we all know why that is. Cause it's a comic book movie. Cause that's the way it looks in the, the thing is that how you know the navy would design it probably not but we we can we can take some allowances what i felt that that scene that scene had a couple of weaknesses i think first first and foremost there's kind of this extensive monologuing um which is an excuse to do backstory and exposition Mm -hmm. now fair is fair they're self-aware enough to sit and say essentially and why have I been monologuing this whole time? Because the plane with the missiles is coming. Yeah. So it's enough to it's it's the nod to the audience. Yes, we know about halfway through we needed to reveal the structure behind all this bad stuff going on, and we needed to do so with a montage, montage, <laughs> and et cetera, et cetera. Um, the notion that he kind of digitized himself on two million feet of nineteen seventies computer 
probably the math doesn't quite work up. But again, I'm not going to say, you know, therefore the whole movie is a lie. It's all wrong. It, to me, it was just a slightly, I mean, look, this literally was deus ex machina. This literally was, you know, God in the machine, not maybe God with a capital G. This was a God. This was a Actually, genius Matt, person. Dr. Zola. In the <laughs> Zola ex machina. <laughs> um, in the machine there, um, explaining that f everything that you know since the since the end of World War II is not real, and everything that you've seen with uh, with the uh, the Agent Carter one shot that was partially a lie because Shield was there. I'm not stating that it's. I mean, look, I did not see that coming. It was a great twist. It was effective. It certainly is big in the comic book movie kind of sense. Yeah. Um, the notion that you know. Hydra is kind of a, a, a is a safe uh, port of the Nazis, you know. If there is such a thing as safe Hydra or safe Nazis, but just whereas Nazis are a little much to sit and say, oh, they're the bad guys, and we're going to be somewhat jovial about that, um, you know. They're the they're the allegory for the Nazis. So kind of the notion that hey, the Nazi Party has actually been around and has infested itself in the highest levels of government worldwide. It certainly is upsetting. If they actually did Nazis, it would have been, I think, too much. The fact that it's, you know, the crazy guys led by the Red Skull, it, right. it worked and enough. But the whole scene to me was a little problematic just in terms of it kind of was just like, and here's the moment that we need to do the big reveal with the guy who's been a computer guy for 40 years and nobody goes there. It, to me, there was just a little rough edges on the writing there. That's all. What I look forward to two on the second viewing was seeing how it played and it played out well you know you use nazis matt and you know that's small potatoes in light of what's going on here and that even resonates further in our secret scene that we'll take a look at fully in level seven but this idea here uh, Dr. Zola on the Motorola or however he's been, uh, you know, captured, um, you know, that this organization has within it another agenda, you know, filled with logs dating back to when Captain America, you know, was living his first life. You know, that's a really, really dark idea for even a comic book universe. Yeah. And I yeah. just give them all the respect for not only going there, but for me, it really worked. And it's not done because there's no way they've cleaned it up. I mean, it's used at the, the end of the film. You know, not all the rats went down with the ship. Yeah didn't get uh revealed or whatnot and you know we we have our climactic battle and they launch these helicarriers and you know there, there's a twist or, or two along the way um but to see this play out in a film and then the ripples that it's going to have on the tv show we watch each week you know it's just a very exciting time it definitely is and and as you said, the effects it'll have on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., let me just bring you back to a comment that uh, Brett Dalton had made uh, at, uh, at Paley Fest uh, a couple weeks ago. 
I, I, I can't wait for everybody to see our show, and then Captain America, and yeah. then watch our show again. Yeah. Because uh, some really interesting things are going to happen. So, I mean, I just kept thinking of that quote as the movie was going on and on, and they're, they're committing to more and more uh, effects on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I mean, my goodness, this is going to be a wildly different, uh, different setting for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on Tuesday. Um, we did the math at, when the movie wrapped up. This whole movie, uh, you know, Captain America, takes place over about three days. So we saw Sitwell get pulled away uh, on last week's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, however many days you want to give him to get to the Lemurian star and whatnot. But this literally is, you know, it's the end of the end of Captain America, the Winter Soldier happened on you know whenever you saw it thursday friday saturday sunday whatever it is monday tuesday that fallout profoundly continues uh and with that pete why don't we let your debrief profoundly continue (laughs) well i i think too the idea that we're not done seeing hydra on the big screen or on the small screen and when that battle plays out and captain america and his friend Bucky Barnes, you know, have it out. Um, you know, that's the surrogate to what is going on in mass within these two organizations. Um, so you've you've got to play that. You've, you've got to have the popcorn element to this. It it can't be all intrigue. You know, you mentioned the three days. So the Russo brothers have said, you know, this is. This is their version of three days of the Condor. This is the political thriller when the Marvel Universe, you know, that's how they they attracted Robert Redford to this comic book. You know, I really like it as Marvel meets the Manchurian Candidate. But you got to have the Rock'em Sock'em, you know, both in the launch sequence of the helicarriers and then in the helicarriers, you know, uh, you know, blowing each other up and then hitting uh the triskelion and everything else, you know, it's, if we have that infestation, this is now the snake eating its own tail. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It really, really is. And, uh, you mentioned Robert Redford. No one's performance is lacking in this film at all, but pity the person, pity the actor who had to be in the same room as Robert Redford because he carried an authenticity where I'm sitting here going, I mean, I mean, it's just it's just the product of a lifetime's worth of work and, and, and amazing talent where it's like the minute that you are the tiniest bit inauthentic and you're opposite of him, you know, you're running the risk of just being called out as like, you're not trying hard enough because I buy him as only ever having been Alexander Payne his entire life. That's the kind of actor he is. And just what a get. And what a, what a fantastic performance. Even though, you know, and, and we'll get there in the debrief in a bit, you know, darn it, if halfway through the movie, the thing that happens halfway through Marvel stories doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and you have to go there. And, and you know, let's, let's look at the takeaway. The takeaway is... Um, S.H.I.E.L.D. has been splintered and still may very much be splintered. Um, is, is it crushed? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, my concern prior to seeing the film was, are they going to blow up the organization about which we do a weekly uh, TV <laughs> podcast? You know, uh, to the point where I was concerned, has the secret plan all along been, 
Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was a one-season show, and Captain America makes that agency kaput. I, I woke up this morning taking that theory much more seriously. Now, I don't think, I don't think it's, it's Cause we still reasonable don't have enough. <laughs> yeah, well, that is true. And, and I think at the end of the day, you know, Disney and ABC are looking to make money, and the show is an effective way to make money, particularly versus whatever you might, you know, whatever else you might put on for the hour that might do, might do worse. But I don't. Let me put it this way: if the show wasn't doing well, and they knew that, I think there would have been a direction of, and now the show is going to deal with the shutdown of Shield season one series finale is turn off the lights. Shield's done with for a couple of years. Goodbye, everybody. Well, hey, they are in the very, very late stages of filming the finale. Chloe Bennett, who plays Sky, wrapped the other day. Um, so they got her out of there, um, presumably so she can't reveal any more secrets or not reveal any more secrets. I don't know why you all think it's a Cree, just because I'm on video saying it's a Cree. Yeah, yeah. Um, and funny that at the Paley Fest, you know, the, the Whedon's... You know, Jovially uh, said they liked everybody in the cast but one. And, you know, there's that ha-ha, you know, joking around. And then they they may really not care for her. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know what, Pete? I remember, I remember, a, high school, I remember a high school teacher telling, telling us, uh, I don't remember what it was in connection to, whatever we were reading, but it was like, um, you know, if a husband says to his wife once every 10 years, you know, I could kill you sometimes. It's probably just said in anger or, you know, or as a joke or whatever. But if a husband's saying it every day, that's a problem. And how many times are they saying, oh, we love this cast except for one person. You're all wonderful except for one person. <laughs> you're, all, you're all really intelligent except for that one person who keeps falling for the joke, how we don't like them. So I don't know. <laughs> Well, I mean, we'll discuss Sky as we get back into the show. Um, but, you know, again, the takeaway, Nick Fury uh, has a gravesite. Uh, he's headed to Europe. Um, Steve Rogers is uh, looking to find, um, you know, uh, Bucky Barnes. Uh, he now has the abilities and the friendship of the Falcon. Um Black Widow is now a public persona. All her secrets laid bare um, in her different haircut in three movies. And she will have a new haircut from the uh, footage that's leaking out already for Avengers Age, Age of Ultron. Uh, Pete, Pete point- she's, listen, Pete, she's a modern woman. She's also a spy. She if, you put, if you put, uh, you know, the nice worker at Stark Industries that she played, you know, obviously – Black Widow undercover, but right. uh, that that would be in Iron Man two. Put her next to Black Widow from uh, from Captain America two. Completely different people, Pete. Completely, you know. Right. It's like to in the Indiana point Jones. Where people you are actually just... confused. Why did they recast the role? Seriously? Oh, I've seen a lot of that. I've seen a lot of that. Like, oh, would have been nice if they got the girl from Iron Man two. It's the same girl. It's wow. Scarlett Johansson. She's pretty visible. Um. But, you know, again, the ripples and, and this is going to sit for more than a year, Matt. And, you know, where it's going to play out is primarily on the small screen. You know, we, we know that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a very strong bet for renewal. Um, and I think this is completely by purpose that uh, we're not going to return to 
an earthbound setting for the Marvel Cinematic Universe until May of next year. Yeah. So you're going to get your fix. You're going to get it through Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. probably on Tuesday night. We've talked. I think they may strongly consider moving it to another night, but we'll have to see. So if you're not watching, if you've just tuned in here for Captain America the Winter Soldier, get yourself on some Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because they are going to regularly revisit the repercussions of the events of this film. And uh, I, I, I mean, I, I cannot, I cannot comprehend what is next for the show. And uh, I mean, great summary there. Uh, we'll obviously hit on, hit on uh, some of that stuff. And uh, it, it really is just an amazing. It's an amazing palette that's ahead of us. So, uh, speaking of what's ahead of us, the dossier. And yes, in our dossier here, a detailed look at the bad guys. Quite a few to mull over from Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I mean, there really are. I, I mean, I guess, Pete, let's start with Fury, who is considered by uh, considered as a bad guy by some uh, in, in the course of the movie. Um, obviously, you know, somebody who I don't think any of us in the audience believed was was a baddie. But also somebody existing in that in that gray area, getting his getting his hands dirty in the mud. So, let me ask you this, Pete: the first time you saw the movie, did you buy that Fury was just killed off? I'll tell you why I didn't. Um, and we've talked at length over the number of podcasts that we've done within the Fantastic Geek family of podcasts. The idea that the people making the movies, promotions people, there's a disconnect. And when I see a film, I will roll through my mind the promotional material, trailers and commercials and, and things. So when you believe or you're shown that Nick Fury is dead, yet I haven't seen a scene I saw in a commercial I'm thinking he's not dead. So that's why I did not suspect he's dead. I've also read he's in Avengers Age of Ultron, so I really had very little suspect that he was dead. Could have could they have been throwing us, you know, uh, uh, a loop there and not, we killed him off? Maybe, but I just think Samuel Jackson, you know, too big to do that. I certainly, I certainly bought it while it was happening, and in the back of my uh, of my head, I was maybe not fully committed. But I'll tell you, in in what was a decent crowd, uh, and I don't mean in terms of attendance. I say you know the audience, you know the theater was was pretty well packed. Um, but in terms of a crowd that was pretty good in terms of oohs and ahs and some applauding and and whatnot, uh, it was silent silent when mm -hmm. the movie was apparently committing to his death and what you know it's just the whole like you hear the person like say 135 a.m and you're like wait did they just call the time and it's the whole rip the glove off and then you know steve like does the turn away from the window you know like that whole thing people are like whoa they just did that like this isn't like live live and that you know it's not tony stark dies at the end of avengers hulk screams at him whoa he's okay like this is they played it for real. Boy, and, um, almost like when uh, Coulson uh, is killed in the Avengers, you know, almost as stunned as that. Well, that's why yeah, I turned to you in the theater and go, 
quietly, I might add, secret scene ahead, I turned to you quietly and said, uh, man, they're going to give this guy his own show next fall. Yeah. <laughs> or two falls. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, the, the thing with Fury, he sends uh, Cap and uh, Black Widow and uh, Rumlow, who we'll look at in a little bit, on this early mission to uh, take out uh, Betrock, who is a, a Marvel comic uh, character, you know, in, in various iterations that sees this uh, shield um, freighter, uh, the Lemurian star. So, you know, the motivations are questionable. And, and could it be somebody taking him out or, you know, the idea that he was taking himself out, faking the death, which is revealed later on? You know, what has Tony Stark told us? You know, Nick Fury is not just a spy. He's the spy. So it's to the characterization that there are dealings upon dealings and misdirection as is the hallmark of who we consider the bad guy at the moment within a Marvel cinematic production. Yeah, I think that's, that's an excellent point. And despite most of the audience knowing that instinctively, I think it, it, it really kind of captures a pacing and also because the world that we kind of understand since the end of the first Iron Man movie of Nick Fury's kind of the guy, and then in Avengers, you're like, oh, there's some holographic board of directors or something that when he doesn't like them, he hangs up on the call and ignores them. Um, and, and then when he, you know, stops them from blowing up Manhattan, he's like, oh, see, it all worked out. Goodbye, I'm going to hang up on you again. Like, the fact that all of that happens and nothing happens to him, and then all of that gets taken away in this movie, it all leads to, to a really nice pacing where you're like you're not thinking well of course he's a super spy hey and uh you only live twice james bond dies in the beginning and it's all to fake his death and etc etc like none of that is kind of accessible to you because you don't have the world that you're used to to be to be uh centered on in order to be thinking of these uh of these alternatives pete well when within this shield organization and then even the levels that you know strangely rise above it we still don't have a very clear idea of flowchart. So when we have Fury and then we're introduced to Alexander Payne, who is at once mentor and, you know, kind of this diagonal boss as uh, a secretary on the World Security Council and everything that that entails, uh, you know, we, we've been thrown in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. levels now has, has been the um, the construct there. And, you know, one versus level seven where, you know, um, uh, Agent Ward resides once he gets brought into uh, Coulson's, you know, subgroup. Coulson being level eight, Fury has been identified and there was a nod to it in the film that he's level 10 Steve Rogers is a level eight as the elevator called out there. And, you know, just this strange and th the word was used in agents of shield last week. It was used repeatedly in this film, this compartmentalized community of both security and, uh, intelligence that goes on and who's aware of what, and that fury is frozen out of 
files seemingly by himself, says the computer. And it's his mentor, played by the venerable Robert Redford, behind all of this. Yeah, and I mean, again, I'll repeat what I had said earlier, that, you know, Alexander Payne is very much um, committed to the the strength of his idea here. And um, the fact that he is kind of, like, I'm not, uh, I'm not clear, and I don't think you, Pete, are, are clear on this. And I don't know that anyone's supposed to be clear on it, but I'm certainly unclear as to, as you, as you say, that flow chart. The, the uh, World Security Council, is that what, what it was called, Pete? Yes, yes. Are they... Which we've seen before in Avengers and now strangely has different people. I mean, listen, they could have been elected or killed or whatnot. Yeah. You know, Powers Booth was the most notable of which in the Avengers. And now we've got, uh, you know, your boy, Alan Dale and, you know, um, respectable, uh, Middle Eastern type, uh, gentleman and, uh, redheaded woman. Well, and- well now, now see, see, I'm looking at them on IMDb now. Yes. There was no powers booth. Uh, yes. The Asian gentleman is different. Uh, there is a, um, uh, another one of them um, was only in Avengers. However, the woman uh, who is just credited as uh, World Security Council, she is in both movies. Okay, all right. So, I mean, I, I certainly don't want to, you know, spend like you know, let's do two hours coming up with our own yeah. org chart here. But I think the fact that she's there tells me what it's maybe uh, two year terms. It's maybe the, you know whatever it is. There is some sort of uh, of um consistency from one to the next and um obviously you're meant to get i think at least a vague impression that it's it's um multi-regional you know the fact that that both iterations have someone who is middle eastern have someone who's asian um it's a shame you couldn't get powers booth back or, or, or all of them for that matter i think it would have been just a slightly better movie had you had them all there, even though none of them aside from Powers Booth, you know, were, were, were an interesting face that, that stuck with you. But it's definitely the same. I mean, IMDb credits those five in Avengers as World Security Council. So, again, I don't quite know what to make of it, but there is that consistency of, at least at least in my mind now, it's clear that they're the same board of directors, if you will, to, to use a more of a business uh, business reference. So... Um, anyhow, I think enough spent on people who barely have any lines, uh, and all, most of which, you know, die. Uh, Pete, what's next on the old dossier? Our secondary titular character, of course, the Winter Soldier. And it's been secret for some time. I was glad that, um, Marvel kind of made up its mind where to go with it uh, about two, three weeks ago in place of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. They ran uh, Assembling a Universe all about the the Marvel film and uh, everything they were heading into with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the one shots and the films they have. It was essentially a, a one hour commercial, but it had documentary esque features to it. And within that, they they straight up spoiled that, you know, the Winter Soldier is Bucky Barnes, something that we've known for some time. And again, being that open secret. 
Um, well, Pete, as as open as it was, and you know, you you carry the moniker "Spoiler Pete." I avoid <laughs> spoilers never possible. However, I had seen uh, the preview for this movie once. Certainly, when the title came out, which has got to be close to two years ago. Uh, you know, I said to myself, all right, we're two years out. Let me see what this title means. If it's going to spoil me, well, I'm probably going to hear it along the way. Oh, it refers to a really famous, uh, you know, storyline where Bucky Barnes returns. Okay, got it. Um, there still were people in the audience who were like, it, when he takes the mask off, they're like, yes. it's the friend. It's, it's the yep, friend. That was, that was great. You know, you, you stole my thunder. Oh, the guy sorry. straight up goes... It's his friend, and everybody just reacted, of course. Um, but, you know, that's that's for the everyday type of person as opposed to people like us that, you know, pay a little bit more attention to what's going on within Marvel and within the storylines. And that's fine. That's what made it effective and, and chilling at the same time. And the elements going on there... I mean, we've seen in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. the links they will do to both protect and then distance themselves from their own agents. Uh, Coulson's a perfect example, you know, resurrecting him and then insulating him from what is going on in the organization proper. So it only makes sense that this infestation within S.H.I.E.L.D., of Hydra would employ a hitman uh, who once was a member of, you know, Captain America's howling commandos and the SSR believed, presumed dead, brought back to life by Dr. Zoda, you know, and, and very heavily foreshadowed in the original film. What's wrong with you? Oh, they've been experimenting on you. Okay. Let's just put the bookmark there. Okay. Um, and to to develop the foil for Captain America because he doesn't really have one outside of the Avengers. You want to say that Stark is the id to Captain America's super ego. That's fine, but they're not really equals in that contemporaries from the same timeline or time frame, I should say, that type of thing. And and, you know, to, to make them former best buds and to have that go on. And, and that's where the heart of this film is. I, I agree. And the fact that um, by the by the time the movie is done with, when you include uh, secret scenes, the, the fact that you really end up seeing Barnes in such a sympathetic light. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll have more to say on that when we talk about level seven. But I, I think that shrewd shrewd marvel is always 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 one to keep its options open in every different way and i think that uh even with uh the the named villain in this uh in this film uh i i think that they're running on a different uh you know a, a, a number of different options there um with that pete let's talk a little bit now about another possible villain that the that the movie gives us and that is, in a metaphorical sense, uh, the government. And to make it clear, you know, we're not going to relate this in in uh, we're not going to relate this discussion to um, uh, topics of the day. We're not going to be saying, you know, Obamacare, good or bad, uh, 
the fact that they're drawing down uh, the, the size of the U.S. military, good or bad, we're not going to be getting into that. But the film does talk um, tangentially about our security, about the security that, that our, our governments can provide to us. Uh, they discuss the role of government. So I think that we'll just kind of respond, uh, respond in historical terms. Pete, where I'd like to start this discussion is a comment that is made uh, towards the end. It's by one of the uh, the suits, you know, a, a senator or something. I don't remember if it's at the interrogation. It's not. It's not when um, not interrogation, but it's not the scene where Black Widow is testifying. At least I don't think. But reference is made to someone. Um, you know, you have taken the security apparatus for this government and pulled it apart. And I kind of s- stood up there and said, oh, I mean, we know S.H.I.E.L.D. is powerful, but I was never entirely clear where S.H.I.E.L.D. was in relation to the military, the FBI, the CIA. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, S.H.I.E.L.D. is it. S.H.I.E.L.D. is the tippity top. Um, and now that's all gone. And people are saying, we don't have our S.H.I.E.L.D., lowercase s. Um, and, and we're not sure how we feel about that. So... Pete, I know this is a big topic. Um, I think old Thomas Jefferson would have something to say on it, but what do you have to say on it? Is the government or the government apparatus uh, uh, a baddie in this movie? Yes and no. Um, In that, if we're going to take the analog of our environment and operate under the assumption that there have all always been people with their own agendas within our government simultaneously people truly with the common interest and the common good in mind i'm fine with that um that everything is laid bare at the end of this movie it's not because we still don't know which rats are out there and you know that's where my interest now shifts to the tv like you know, who else will be revealed to have been a member of Hydra? We know that uh, we, we see the Gary Shandling uh, politician, you know, who uh, admits to being a member of Hydra and, and, and saluting them to Agent Jasper Sitwell, uh, to Rumlo, who is believed will at some point uh, become the character of Crossbones from the comic universe. You know, all these these heads that, you know, you chop off one, two more appear, and who's still out there? As Coulson is fond of saying, the organization is not secret. What they do is, and now it's not as secret as it once was. Yeah, and I mean, certainly the message is clear as that third helicarrier slowly makes its way down, taking out, um, at least in a metaphorical sense, taking out the entire Triskelion. I mean, I'm sure some was left, that kind of thing. But certainly it's saying we're cutting this this building and this organization into pieces. Um, Pete, there's a famous Thomas Jefferson quote, uh, the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. And I think what's important to keep in mind in that quote is, it's equal blood. It's patriots and tyrants. It's not saying to be free, we need to go get those bad guys. What he's arguing for, Jefferson is, and some people would argue that he was putting it more as a thought question versus a real practical application to democracy. But what he's saying is 
you need rebellions every so often to clear out both sides, to start fresh. Uh, the next bit of that quote is uh, that the blood of patriots and tyrants is the natural manure, the natural fertilizer of liberty. So that's a rather that's a rather um, bold take for the movie to be doing a bit more than dipping its toe into, which is good or bad, this thing was too big and we needed to just burn it down. And there is that question, you know, what's next? And I guess we'll see in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., do they take a turn where, you know, is it going to be more, you know, Chitauri, Stephen Strange, um, uh, you know, type stuff? Or are we just going to see some kind of comic book version of, you know, domestic terrorism or that sort of thing where now we don't have the S.H.I.E.L.D. protecting us and now things, you know, now things are a lot more free, and the bad guys are a lot more free to do what they want to do as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the show is going to explore that. Um, and I guess I'll wrap up my little government commentary here by saying, Pete, we've been slowly identifying at a number of points, uh, including way back in the beginning of, of the season for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., times where there really was the suggestion that S.H.I.E.L.D. was not all it was cracked up to be. And the fact that that came to came to pass in this movie and will be will be affecting the series for presumably multiple episodes to come. Um, that's the kind of synergy that we're looking for. Well, hey, I've been alluding to this schism within S.H.I.E.L.D. for some time. And we knew this was coming with this film, that the end game of their program was to essentially simultaneously slaughter tens of millions of people down to a Tony Stark. If you notice real quick, we were shown the tower, which is now the Avengers tower in Manhattan where he was. Um, The Stephen strange uh, who will become Dr. Strange within the Marvel cinematic universe was name checked as being another one that your SAT scores and your taxes and any data that would uh, indicate you as a potential threat to what Hydra wanted was a target and was going to bite it. That's not a place I ever believed they were willing to go with this plan. So this was a truly nefarious outgrowth of an organization that had noble aims, if not having to occasionally do something in a gray area and really taken to its logical absurdity. Absurdity, yes, but I think that it was a science fiction comic book analog. At least, I think the movie is arguing that its message is a science fiction slash uh, uh, comic book analog to possibly some of the things that we see uh, around us in the world today. Obviously, <laughs> we won't delve too too much as I as I started this topic with. We won't delve too much into uh, you know the, the the topic of modern times, but. Pete, why don't we start to transition with a reminder to all our friends that you, yes, you with your earbuds in, you can help support the podcast's bandwidth and storage costs by visiting fantasticgeek.com and clicking on the PayPal link to uh, to give a donation. A little goes a long way. And with that, Pete. Level seven. Yes, and our level seven segment where we <clears throat> take time to analyze and theorize quite a bit to chew over within the course of Captain America, the winter soldier. There certainly is. And I think 
while the first topic on my list is not uh, is not movie centric, it was certainly first to my heart, which is, you know, is Shield gone or is Shield pared down? How is this going to affect uh, the TV show that we have we have grown to enjoy more and more each week? Are we going to see uh, the bus elevated as the tip of the spear filled with goodies? Uh, or is this going to end up being a plane with no home runway? Uh, you know, could we have the next 12 or 15 episodes over the course of this season and, ne- and next where they go from being, you know, the last best hope for peace to slowly rebuilding that organization? Uh, Pete, I would even ask you, is it possible at some point that we will see Fury hop on the bus uh, to go to Europe to fight whatever fight he wants to, uh, picking up from the end of Captain America 2? I'm not going to say that that's not a possibility down the road. I don't think we're going to get Sam Jackson back on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. the rest of the season. I think there is a very real possibility for a cameo from some others we would instantly recognize. But I, I think the answer lies within, again, their own words and this compartmentalization that's gone on. We know that Melinda May has been informing back to shield proper what's been going on with the bus and that Colson knows. Um, I think shield becomes tinier. Does that mean they rename themselves buckler or something else? <laughs> they, they, they become a, a smaller type of shield. I, I think that's a little out of the question. Um, they're still there to, you know, monitor and protect us from these threats, both earthbound and extraterrestrial that we've experienced both before the events of the Avengers and now afterward. And we know that this universe continues to expand. We're not even going to be within the realm of, of shield. We're going to get the, the alien shield in guardians of the galaxy and, and to see how they go about their business in, in monitoring these threats. Um, you know, that's where my initial concern was as well. You know, does shield get blown up here? Does Colson's crew on the bus become that rogue, if you will, uh, you know, essentially shields version of the a team, you know, if you've got a problem, you, you contact them. Um, it's a way to go. I, I don't think they'll go there. I, I think the next skein of episodes is going to be spent cleaning up, uh, you know, cutting off those multiple heads within Hydra. I've never been more convinced that Bill Paxton is our clairvoyant, is our bad guy, is a member of Hydra. I can hear him saying, hail Hydra now uh, in the next couple episodes. And I say that again with no direct inside knowledge, or at least I'm not going to admit to it. Hail Hydra, man. Hail Hydra. <laughs> well, I mean, on that topic, Pete, uh, you know, and, and I kind of uh, referred to this earlier, we have had the theory, listeners have had the theory that, that the clairvoyant is somebody who, you know, a la the leader has a big giant green head and, <laughs> and, you know, can can figure out all these things. Well, what did we see in Captain America too? In the in in the visage, or at least the digital village of visage of Doctor Zola, we had the big giant green head who could figure out lots of things, married with 
the revelation from last week's Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. that this is an insider who actually is just has tons of data access and is capable of data analysis. I am not a proponent of the theory that the clairvoyant is Dr. Zoller or, 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 or someone connected to him. Well, how about this? There's no way that it's Dr. Zola because he was killed off in between last week's episode and this next episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. However, could it be somebody who's at those controls, somebody who's working with him in, in a very close sense, not just, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a level six Hydra and I never saw the big giant head or I never talked to Alexander Payne. I think this could be somebody who is getting that computerized information. The question from last week's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was, uh, was it uh, was it um, uh, what was his name the uh, the, the wheelchair bound character Thomas uh, Nash yeah was Thomas Nash typing or was it someone else uh, well gee whiz we got a guy who lives in a computer <laughs> in this episode I think that there's a possibility that you know, how about this instead of the clairvoyant being a guy maybe it was two people Dr. Zola and blank his right-hand man, whether that's Bill Paxson, whether that's Melinda May, whether that's Patton Oswald, whether that's, you know, whoever's going to walk out of the shadows in the, you know, my prediction at the end of season one and say, and now I am the clairvoyant. You go, oh man, they got so-and-so. <laughs> um, whatever it is, to me, this path is a lot clearer that we saw, you know, that, that Hydra is really thinking about data analysis and having a file and reading a file. And that's the problem uh, with the clairvoyant as well. Do you want to play a game? Yeah, that reference made a lot more, a lot more sense uh, <laughs> as we're in the middle of the movie. And, and yeah, how do you do it, Pete? The old war games uh, reference, which uh, strangely uh, Steve Rogers had already gotten around to. Um, which was not on his little uh, list there, but uh, <laughs> he, he said that he got it. Um, so let's talk. Uh, we, we've talked about the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. repercussions. We've got to talk repercussions that actually extend both within the Marvel Cinematic Universe and beyond. So our secret scene shows us Baron Wolfgang von Strucker recently cast in in Avengers Age of Ultron. Uh, Do you think they could have made him maybe sound a little more German or have a more German name or maybe given him a more German uh, <laughs> monocle? Because I wasn't clear as to whether he was German or not. Yeah. So he is some in some facility that remains unknown to this point in our mid-credit secret scene where we are exposed to the fact that he has uh, the the end piece of Loki's scepter with the uh, the piece of uh, the crystal that has the Tesseract uh, technology, the, the cosmic cube there that was such a big uh, MacGuffin in the first Avengers film. And he's monologuing as well, talking about the fallout, you know, the, the line there about S.H.I.E.L.D., HYDRA, these are two sides of the same coin that is not our currency. So this is even larger. Oh. And, and the great line that kicks us into this next phase, uh, even though we're not yet in phase three proper, that will begin with 
Avengers Age of Ultron, he talks about the age of miracles and that there is nothing more horrifying than a miracle. And then we're treated to the uh, the glimpse into the cells where uh, Quicksilver is, you know, trying to uh, bolt through the wall and uh, Elizabeth Olsen's uh, Scarlet Witch is levitating cubes and uh, we get our glimpse of three characters who are going to figure in very prominently in the next Avengers film, which is, you know, in the heart of its production schedule right now. It was a really, really evocative scene. Um, and I think just, first of all, the scale with which it was shot, and the scale shouldn't surprise us generally, but the fact that, as you said, filming for the movie has just started in the last couple of weeks. Um, well, it, there's no doubt that, that Whedon filmed that sequence. That has right. been the tradition of the secret scenes is that the next guy queued up takes care of it with, you know, rare exception. You know, you think back to, uh, Iron Man one where, and they explained in the assembling a universe special that, you know, they, they brought Samuel Jackson in a car from makeup onto the, so nobody knew, obviously that was a John Favreau situation. Um, but, you know, how about that, where the, the Russo brothers can, here you go, uh, uh, Joss, you know, just just bookend this bad boy for us right here. <laughs> but uh, I was surprised by the scale of that scene, given that, you know, first they're kind of, in, it's, you know, him talking to the other guy, and they're in a smaller room, and all of a sudden he's just walking, 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 there's all these extras doing all sorts of nefarious things in the background, and even just the way that the you know that that the reverse of that uh discussion was shot which is to say the um you know the cells themselves um somehow the camera they show both of them at the same time and you capture the emotion of quicksilver kind of pulsing and running and i think it's kind of initially unclear is he increasing in size is he running i mean i i know quicksilver is a you know is a fast running guy but i'm just saying from the point of view of completely uh you know blank slate here he's kind of doing some sort of thing and then she's there very calm and he's kind of downtrodden she kind of has this look of calm desperation and it just sells it it's like wow i want to i want to find out more about these people um i think pete that we should stress uh that you know think back to the the clip from paley fest uh when uh when um our pal jeff Loeb uh spoke Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch in the Marvel Cinematic Universe are not mutants. Um, they certainly are not the the offspring of Magneto. And I think, Pete, the implication I was getting from that secret scene was that their powers were a, were a side effect of the, uh, the experimentation, not something that they were, um, I won't say born with, because then they'd be mutants and such a thing does not exist. But... Um, did did you catch that as well? Yes, and and that they're going to show us the scepter. I think there's a direct connection to what they're able to do. I mean, listen, we're we're not going to, or we at least shouldn't expect to. I think get their stories until we get that film next May. Um, but you know, we know of the issues between the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and then that. 
X-Men is in possession of 20th Century Fox. That notwithstanding, that's not only Quicksilver, which we already knew is in X-Men Days of Futures Past, so is Scarlet Witch. I increasingly worry about that movie. Although good news, um, it appears that they're basically going to cut Halle Berry from it. So at least they're making room. Except <laughs> I really thought she did a good job playing Storm. Well, Anna Paquin has very famously had her scenes excised already. And, you know, whether that's an outgrowth of, <clears throat> all right, she's got the final season of True Blood coming up. She just had... um you know, her babies and there's been issues with the health of that and, you know, doing everything not wanting her to do press for six to eight weeks leading into, you know, her TV show going off the air on HBO or whether they just said, you know what, we're, we're cutting the character, but that you would have these two characters in play in both universes. That's where it gets confusing. And Matt, I couldn't agree with you more that they're going to go the non-mutant route we just don't understand what it is. I think we're supposed to be led to believe at this point it's the holdover of the the scepter of the Tesseract. We've been exposed to the fact that the Infinity Stones, not specifically by name, actually, yes, they, they were they were name-checked in the secret scene for uh, Thor the Dark World and that um, the Collector... Uh, is is looking to amass them, that's really something that's going to play out further in Guardians of the Galaxy. So who's to say whether there's something more to Loki's scepter than we know? We know that it had the power to uh, subjugate people to his will. Who knows if it could give this ESP or telepathy or these other abilities to people if, you know this organization has unlocked its secrets yeah it's i mean as always it's it's headed in uh it's headed in a good direction um in the final secret scene the one post credits which as you noted the one that propels you to the next movie is now the mid-credit one and then you get just kind of the extra the extra sauce for this it's the movie. coda you know yeah it- it's it's the thing we're supposed to take away other than where they're pushing us in the next film. It's it's where we're supposed to take the, the narrative from this sequel to its next sequel. And in this one, we have Bucky back at the Smithsonian kind of presumably starting to learn about his um his past. And what I... I mean, you know, so there's kind of this moment of reflection and growth and, ooh, there, there, I can still feel the good in him. Now, Pete, what I found very interesting is we've had, we've had um, Chris Evans state that when his current Marvel contract is up, he would like to move on, whether that's a negotiating tactic or, or not. Marvel has to, Marvel has already dealt with, as we've discussed many times, having mid-level actors leave a character role and they and they recast uh you and i have discussed off air when robert downey jr is is finally moving on one option is they might just simply kill off tony stark and say no one shall ever touch tony tony stark again and you could have don Cheadle in the role of 
the guy in the suit, whether it's whether it's uh, uh, Lieutenant Rhodes as Iron Man taking up the new mantle or as Iron Patriot um, just to fulfill that role in Avengers uh, in those types of situations. Um, here's another option for you when it comes to Captain America. In the comics, famously, uh, there, there's a period of time where Bucky takes up the mantle of uh of captain america and i believe pete you've told me that um the uh sebastian uh shaw is it Mm -hmm. is that his name that he has like a nine picture contract with marvel now whether all those movies get made is up to the discretion of marvel but i'm wondering if it's a case i'm wondering if one option on that marvel flow chart is chris evans doesn't come back we part amicably because chris evans would also like to be a writer and a director and he he takes his marvel money and moves on to you know, the road to Oscar kind of thing. Um, and maybe they, I mean, the sympathy that I feel for Bucky by the end of the movie is disproportionately large given the small amount of screen time he has. Then you factor in most of that screen time is him fighting and throwing. It's not kind of character stuff. So I feel a ton of sympathy for him. I could definitely chart a route where it takes two movies to, you know, like if it's Captain America three and four, just for the sake of argument, by the end of Captain America four, you have the the funeral for Captain Rogers, and we're all going, oh my goodness, this is real. They really did this. Chris Evans really did stop this role, and then Bucky picks up the shield at the end of it, and you go, oh my goodness, he's the new Captain America. Like there's a route where that's palatable, and I think Pete that they're planting the seeds here for that possibility if. That's how you want to go financially if you decide to not recast the character of Steve Rogers, et cetera, et cetera. Your thoughts, Pete? I still think, and particularly the tone of that final scene that they set, it leaves some distance in terms of the character development, um, even down to the music they choose. They they chose to give you there. They weren't going with the patriotic, and this was, you know. James Barnes as he did his thing. No, there was that underlying, almost like the discordant noise they use when the Joker's on screen, that building in the background that they did several times with the Winter Soldier. Is he back all the way? I mean, yeah, he pulled Steve Rogers out of the Potomac. Does that make him a good guy now? I I think his journey is still going to have some some ups and downs. If only you had a nice bunch of trustworthy S.H.I.E.L.D. people who could maybe <laughs> scoop him up and be like, hey, friend, I've been through some stuff and some things, too. I felt like I had lost who I was when they rebuilt my brain. So let's let's talk this out. Anyhow, with that, Pete, let's move on. Transmissions. Pete, our first decrypted transmission comes from our pal, Ian in the UK, uh, known on his fantastic website, zort.co.uk, as the brains, this, you know, the, the fantastic designs that he does. Pete, he sent us an email nine days ago on this movie. Do you know why he sent it nine days ago? Because it was out in much of the world nine <laughs> days ago. It's worth mentioning, by the way, he did see a slightly different version of the movie. Uh, the scene where uh, where uh, Cap is writing down things in his little little journal, things to keep track of, things to learn about. 
apparently there's one version in Britain that references the Beatles. Some, some of the things are the same, but references the Beatles and um, I think another British band. The German version references... Um, Doctor Who, I believe, is on the British one as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, good man, good man. Um, but there's some kind of more German things in, uh, in the German version. Apparently in the Mexican version, there's a reference to... Uh, the first Mexican astronaut, and so on and so forth. I think that's totally cute. That's fantastic. I, I think it's great. I mean, it's obviously all written in English, but I think that it's great that you can just sit there in your home country and go, hey, hey, this is what we get. In other countries, they get other stuff. Totally, totally cool idea. But anyhow, here are Ian's words. Just finished watching the film and wanted to share a little feedback. Not much as it would be a little too spoiler-laden. Did I enjoy the film? Yes. Will everyone enjoy the film? Probably not, as it could be considered a little too slow by some and not action-packed enough. But what action there is is really interesting, and it introduced a new character to the MCU that I think is very cool. Is it all connected? You bet it is. In fact, the voice inside my head was shouting at the screen several times, Call Coulson and the team. They'll sort it out which is actually a turnaround for me, as I think I am now more invested in those characters than I am in the main protagonists of the film. Talking of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. the TV show, the plot of the film gives us a small dilemma, which I've heard two other people also discuss as I left the cinema. Uh, I'll leave you to make up your own mind about what that is, but the next two episodes of the show will be really interesting. That's all for now. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on the film. So, Pete, we'll start with... Did you feel that the pace was right or was it too slow? Was it not action packed enough, et cetera? It's funny on a first viewing. Um, I thought it might've trended a little bit to the slow side, but on the second viewing, I disagree with that assessment. I, I think you're talking about uh, four pretty sizable action sequences uh, um, divvied up in the, uh, you know, in, in, uh, different parts of the film, uh, I was really okay. With that. And, but the intrigue is what sells this film. It's, it's, it's a different type of film. Um, you know, I've seen a lot and I think this happens every time Marvel puts out a movie and it's to their credit. Oh, this is the best Marvel movie ever. It's better than Avengers. I don't know. It's really, really good though. Yeah. Uh, the only time I felt that it lagged was, um, after the Fury is alive reveal, there's a scene where uh, Falcon and Cap are kind of on a concrete bridge, right? And it was like during their conversation, I'm like, "Oh man, this is this is, right now is dragging." And then literally at that point, it's like one of them is like, "Well, you know what? We still got to strap up and go beat the bad guys." So, <laughs> are you ready, buddy? You betcha. Let's go get him. I'm like awesome you need to have your i mean i understand you need to change pace you need to slow down have quiet so that the bangs are loud so the fast is fast etc um yeah I, to me i felt it was a hard action i don't mean you know hardcore i don't mean you know hard to watch it was very kind of bone jarring as opposed to say and we can save our evisceration of uh, non-MCU Marvel movies for another time, but some of the previews I'm seeing for Amazing Spider-Man 2, where it's like, he's going to jump off the building and flip and turn and pirouette and this and that the other. This was very like, oh man, if I was a super soldier and I had to fall like that, I would, I'd be spitting out a couple teeth, even though I have Dr. Erskine's uh, formula or whatever. Like, mm -hmm. that just hurt. 
How, did they get a stuntman to do that? That looks like it just hurt. So to me, the action that was there left you feeling kind of bruised. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I love all the connections. And I think I agree with him. What is this going to do to the show? I don't know. But we'll find out. And that's part of the beauty. I, I hope they see a, a jump up in ratings. I hope this has a great effect on the show. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that, Pete, we have one more email from the venerable Mike Sorensen. Uh, he says, hopefully you get this before you report, uh, record the podcast. Don't worry, Mike. Um, he says uh, he wants to make sure he got in this tidbit right away. I was right! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation <laughs> point. When Fury activated the elevator for Project Insight, the screen showed him as level 10. Uh, I called it low these many months back when there was discussion about different folks' levels. Colson well, his level... Has been identified on Agents of Shield, though. That that's important to point out. That was identified in the episode where they went to uh, Tahiti. That was there was it? only one level ten operative, and it's Nick Fury. Yes. Fair enough. Well, yeah. I still Mike. Uh, and Mike it's not to undercut Mike, certainly. Um, but but that you know, I mean, listen, Captain America. They filmed that first. Yeah. And then the the show is taking advantage of literally their production notes. Oh, okay, we got to get in the exposition that Fury's level ten. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Pete. I mean, do you imagine? That, I mean, there's some guy whose job it is to like be the liaison. Like, okay, I just met with the movie people. I just met with Kevin Feige. It's okay to mention this, this, this. I can't mention that, that. Anyhow, just to to wrap up Mike's thoughts here. Uh, Colson is eight. Hill will be nine. Fury is top of the pile at ten. I still think Hand may only be an 8, but it's possible she matches Hill. Garrett is also only level 8. Uh, but I nearly came out of my seat when they showed level 10 on the screen. No one would have <laughs> understood why, uh, but I was right. So, good job, Mike. You're, I mean, Mike is always reliable for um, passionate and insightful uh, communicators, whether it's Twitter or email. And certainly, a uh, you know, appreciated that he's, uh, he's such a loyal listener and... Uh, interactive uh with our with our podcast so thank you as uh as always mike for uh for checking in now we say all the time you know we have the best listeners and and we mean that uh what we need is, is to clone them and uh to get them all watching uh agents of shield and bump these ratings up you know, there, there was a promo before the film you had uh gone back out in the lobby i, I think to get yourself some raisin or whatever you were doing there and uh you know they they did an agents of shield promo that actually aired a little earlier um last month in in march you know the the uprising idea here or they showed sif they showed uh um you know uh who was the other guest that we had. it wasn't paxton there was somebody else in there they showed but you know i i almost wish they had done that maybe at the end of the film, although everybody's there at the beginning, just, just to kind of reinforce that, like, Hey, the story continues on Tuesday, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. My only regret from the movie is that they didn't include Elizabeth Henstrich, Henstridge, um, at the, uh, at the, uh, the Triskelion in some way. I feel like you could have, even without, the two properties being on the same page. I feel like you just could have had scene of people running and go back and green screen her in to run by. Um, 
if only just as like, hey, did I see that? No, I didn't see. It. Hey, somebody <laughs> has a screen cap. Hey, you know, like just to really hammer home. I'm hoping that maybe, maybe we get something like that in the next Agents of Shield. Um, by the way, Pete, one last thought for me before, uh, uh, if I may. Did you notice that Com Tech Number One was the nicest Com Tech that there was? <laughs> that's that's all I'll say is we of the community viewership. We it, it was so nice how Com Tech Number One opened that door and said, "Hey guys, I'm just here to help. I'm going to put my hands up." That's all I want to say. Back to you, Pete. Yeah, that's it, nice for you and those two other people. But anyway. Hey, listen, whenever I don't watch Community, it goes down in ratings because that's how small the audience is. So it's nice. It's nice to be part of a small community. With that, Pete, tell us more about the review raffle. Yes, we are having an incentive. We love your reviews on iTunes of this podcast. So anyone who... Uh, enters a new review between now and two days before the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. finale that will take place on Tuesday, May 13th. So by May 11th, you need to, Sunday, May 11th, you need to get your review in. Um, You will be entered into a raffle for your very own uh, Funko Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Agent Coulson. So you can have your own little Coulson on your desk, uh, your mantle, in your own personal little shrine. And all that it takes is a couple words about the Fantastic Geek podcast on iTunes. One other step to that, Matt. There is. Please make sure that uh, after you've done the review, you email us with your uh, iTunes name, just because sometimes those can be those can be different, and that way we can be in touch with you if indeed you are uh, the winner. That email address, fantasticgeek at gmail.com. That's fantastic with a PH. If you'd like to talk to us in other ways, we are also Fantastic Geek on Twitter. And, of course, you can leave comments on fantasticgeek.com. But, Pete, some people don't want the dual conversation. Some people are Pete fans. How can they talk to you? Well, 2,750 followers can't be wrong. You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. And I am Looking Back Lost on Twitter. Pete, we will be back at the mic in just a couple days for the next, uh, what I can only imagine will be mind-blowingly insane episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, and I think we've covered tons and tons and tons about... Uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, certainly a, a strong, strong outing for uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I guess with that, Pete, I will say au revoir to one and all and give you the final word. On your left. first for us we're doing our own secret scene at the end of the podcast because 
something not related to the movie, but relating to the movie experience happened. And it's the thing that everybody fears about when you go to the movies versus wait at home to watch it on your big TV. And what was it, Pete? Uh, really bad uh, hygienic conditions. Not that, although the theater we went to certainly, you know, has seen its glory days. It's the idiots behind you who keep talking. Now, yes. And, you know, you, you, you talk about this film itself being topical. Uh, you know, the concern in 2014 is that everyone is strapped and, you know, we've had deaths occur in uh, movie theaters as a result of confrontations over cell phones. So uh, as you pointed out before the movie even began, we need to be reminded four times before the film even <laughs> comes on to turn your phone off. Uh, which is a st sorry state of humanity, certainly. But I was initially a little annoyed by the two guys during the previews. But I was like, you know what? You get your chit-chat out during the previews. I was a little worried about them when the X-Men Days of Future Past preview came on. And the one guy's like, Godzilla, Godzilla, Goshira. And then Patrick Stewart's like, we've been fighting this battle for so long. He's like, Godzilla, man. And oh, then they man. cut to Patrick Stewart. The and there's literally Patrick Stewart. <laughs> One, two, three. Dude, I don't think this is Godzilla. <laughs> Picard's not going to uh, bring the Enterprise in to take out uh, Godzilla. That's not happening in this one. Mr. Worf, fire. <laughs> so I think now I hope things would start to get better as because they were it was guy on the left and guy on the right. And guy on the right at a certain point was like, dude, put your phone away and you got to be quiet. So I'm like, okay, they've, I, I get it. We've all been 17, 18, 19, 20, however old they were. I get it. Um, but then, Pete, the movie starts to unfold. And what sort of things did we start to hear? Like, like how about this, Pete? I'll set it up like this. Um, Captain America shows up on screen. Oh, it's Captain America. Um, we see Scarlett Johansson for the first time. That's Scarlett Johansson. I've seen pictures of her on the internet. <laughs> um, uh, we see three helicarriers uh, down beneath the Potomac. I've seen this movie called Avengers, and they had one of those vehicles too. Samuel L. Jackson appears in, a, in an eye patch. He's going to tell me that he has a quote from Scripture and then read it to us. <laughs> so this type of thing is going on, and then for the first 20, 30 minutes, and then it kind of dies down for high-pitched high action stuff. You know, they're totally quiet. For Fury's death, they're totally quiet. I'm like, all right, they got it out of their system, whatever. Um, then, Pete, I'll let you set the scene. How about that? We get to a really tense, musicless conflict between Steve Rogers and the reveal coming that this is Bucky Barnes. They are knife fighting on the streets of... Um, Washington, D.C., and these guys will not shut the hell up. Now, I had been in my head for about 20 minutes being like, I should just turn around and say something firm but nice or whatever. And then it just reaches a point. And if you go back, dear listeners, and listen to our podcast for Avengers, I say I'm the Hulk because I'm always angry. And... There is a part of me that really is angry a lot. However, I'm a big boy and I count to 10 
or I speak pleasantly or whatever. But there's just occasionally, look, there's a reason that the Hulk is a beloved character because we all have a little Hulk in us. So I get into my head, like something just snaps and the words in my hand are in my head are stop talking. But everything that came after that just came out. I turn around. Oh, I can I can directly quote what you said after that. <laughs> okay, well, the, well, how do you want to do this, Pete? Do, should I do it? Should you? I'm interested to see if you know it because we actually we didn't discuss those words since they were said. Well, why don't you uh, explain what happened? You said it, and uh, okay. I observed it. So, <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm there secondhand. So I just I just whip around with my arm. I'm kind of aware of my body language. My arm on the empty seat next to me. I turn around and I say stop talking and there's kind of this stunned look that i get from the one i'm like you two morons and i point to the one that's been stupider and i say especially you and then turn back around it was actually you in particular is the direct quote yes remember remember what i used to do for a living (laughs) (laughs) yes 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 you in particular because and then as i turned back around i was like that felt really really good now i want to say i didn't sinking in my seat Are these guys packing, and am I going to have to Steve Rogers their ass after they try to take out the Hulk? You know what? After after two minutes went by, and I didn't hear a blessed thing, that's when I just sat up a little bit more and made my shoulders a little bit broader, and I was like, yeah, we just won that. The Hulk and Captain America just won that. Well, the next thing that happened that broke and, and, you know, obviously this was done in an audible level that many people around us heard. But not yelling. It was not. It was it probably was was, louder on microphone than it was in real in real life. Uh, At least I think. I don't know. It was stern. It was matter of fact. Uh, It wasn't the way I would go, but it was the way you went and it was effective. (laughs) And what then broke the the silence after that was the reveal of Bucky Barnes and breaking at least my tension was some guy saying it's the friend and all (laughs) that followed. So we we were all viewers again after that instead of uh, potential targets. (laughs) Yeah, probably in retrospect. Pete, I did put us in some danger, and I want to apologize for that. But uh, it all worked out in the end. And you know what? They didn't see stay for both secret scenes. So consider that to be your punishment, boys. Well, Pete, this has been a pretty effective secret scene. I think we should do it every single time we almost uh, risk a fight at a movie theater. <laughs> I don't think we should risk fights at the movie theater, but that's just me. Well, I promise next time... You can say something, or you can handle it, and I will be a good boy. Okay. Alrighty. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.